Amen. Well, good morning. Good to see you all today. Good to be in the Lord's house. We're going to finish up the letters to the churches today with the, the church that nobody wants to join, which is the church of Laodicea. So if you'll turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. And the irony here with all these churches is that they, they're surprised when Jesus gives them their report card. The ones who think they're doing well are not doing so well. And the ones who are kind of discouraged, Jesus says, hang in there, you're doing okay. And, uh, but this is the, uh, the most tragic of all, I think, the, the, the church at Laodicea. And I don't know about you, but when I think about, when I read the Bible and I think about Pharisees, I don't ever think about myself. I, I picture somebody else in the story. And, and when we, we hear about the lukewarm Laodicean church, surely we say, well, that's not me. That's not my church. But I, I want to tell you guys, uh, I've been really burdened this week, that I think the church in America, and I'm not talking about Deep Springs, but the church in the United States is very, very, very much like the church in Laodicea. And uh, that should be very disturbing to us. Laodicea is a picture uh, of a culture that has rejected God and a church that has conformed to the culture. That's, that's it. I'm going to say that again for those that maybe didn't get it the first time. It's a culture that has rejected God and then a church that has conformed to that culture, you see. And if you look around the church in America, it's, it's largely, we, we are not that much different from the world in our philosophies. We are to be transformed by the power of God, not conformed to the pattern of this world. So uh, keep that in mind uh, as we read this. Now let's stand, if you will, if you're able to. If you can't, that's okay. Um, we want to read Revelation 3, verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and have sat down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Preacher Larry, would you pray for us this morning? Our Heavenly Father. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Let's go to slide number one. So let's review the, the seven churches so far. We've got, uh, and there's the map here. We've been following the postal road. It was kind of a, a clockwise uh, direction there. You've got Ephesus, which represented the, uh, the loveless church. They had left their first love. You have Smyrna, which is the persecuted church. Pergamus, which is the compromised church. They're doctrinally compromised. 
Thyatira is morally corrupted. Um, Jezebel's teaching the people to uh, eat things sacrificed in the idols and to commit fornication. Sardis is the dead church. They've got a name, but, the, but that's all. It's just a name. Philadelphia is the church of the open door. So that brings us to um, the church in Laodicea. And I want you to imagine, we're down to the last messenger now. And he's already been to six other churches. And they've read the letters. Some, some were good and some were bad. But he knows what's waiting on him at his church. So you, can you imagine what he felt like when he had to go deliver this to his home church? Uh, to a bunch of people that apparently... Uh, couldn't care less about Jesus, and he's going to have to go give them a message that they don't want to hear, and so I, I feel for him, because there's times when, when God will give me a message that I know you don't want to hear, and, uh, and the Lord has to help, help us get through that, but just kind of put yourself in his shoes as he goes back um, to his home church. All right, let's go to the next slide. Now, the, uh, this follows the same formula as the others, the angel, the messenger, to the church in Laodicea. Now this church, more than any others, has cultural references within the body of the, of the letter. And you'll see that as we go. Uh, this city was, by the way, Laodicea means rule by the people. And, and this is how this church was. They, they had kicked God out. He's outside of the church knocking to get in. And the people uh, have decided that their opinions and their ideas are more important than God's word. And, uh, and that's a very dangerous thing. It was uh, located in the Lycus Valley at the juncture of two important trade routes. It helped, um, helped them to be a wealthy city. It was a tri-city area. Uh, Colossae and Hierapolis were the neighboring cities. Think about uh, Oak Island. Any, any of y'all like to go to Oak Island, North Carolina? Well, if you remember, it used to be uh, Long Beach and Yopon Beach. So it was kind of a dual city. Well, this is kind of a tri-city area here. It was the wealthiest city in, in Phrygia in the Roman times. Now, it was famous for three uh, things in particular. Number one, it was a banking uh, center. It was a center for banking. And they were famous for producing their glossy black uh, wool garments. And everybody wanted to wear those. I was picking on folks about their members-only jackets the other day, and Preacher Larry came in with his on a Wednesday night <laughs> just to show me that they're still in style, and they are. But these, uh, everybody wanted the black glossy wool because it was soft and sleek. Um, there was a medical, medical school there, and they were famous for their, uh, their eye salve. Supposedly it had the uh, ability to cure any eye disease. It was like in a tablet form. It was a compound called Phrygian powder. There was a large Jewish population there, but unlike uh, Smyrna and Philadelphia, there's no mention of any persecution from the Jews, um, which I think is uh, significant. Uh, one of the major uh, cultural issues in Laodicea is they had to bring water from outside. They didn't have an adequate water supply. And, uh, and I, could, I think I remember when Danny, Danny Wright was here uh, several years ago when he was... Uh, Overseas, and he was talking about how they would bring the water in uh, in these big tanks and stuff, uh, not not to Laodicea, but where he was, and and we don't really know that much about that because we have adequate water, but in Laodicea they they didn't have an adequate water supply, and so they had it piped in, 
through these, uh, these aqueducts. And in Hierapolis was the hot springs, and it would bring the hot water down through the pipes. And Colossae was known for its cold water, and they would pipe the cold water in. Well, guess what happened by the time that it got to Laodicea? It wasn't hot anymore, it wasn't cold, but it was what? Lukewarm. Does anybody like lukewarm drinks? Now, I, I will drink water at room temperature. I don't want a glass of milk at room temperature. That's just me, especially on a hot summer day. And, and the water was also filled with mineral deposits. So it was just kind of yucky taste and uh, yucky texture. All right, let's go to the next slide. Let's look at how Jesus is described here. He is described as the Amen. That's kind of unusual. But it's borrowed from Isaiah uh, 65, 16, where God is called there the God of truth. Elohim, Amen. Amen is not just a religious word. Uh, it means truth or, or veracity. And it's the same in, uh, in Greek and Hebrew. Uh, amen. And in uh, English, Jesus says, Verily, verily. That's, that's an Amen saying. He's the Alpha and the Omega. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, All the promises of God in Him are yes, and in Him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. He's also called the faithful and the true witness, which is, stands in stark contrast to the folks in Laodicea who, uh, who are not faithful, and they're not true to their devotion to God. Now let's take just a minute to talk about this beginning thing here. He says he's the beginning of the creation of God at the end of verse 14. Now some cult believers say that this means Jesus is a created being. James, I'm going to put you to work today because your comrades abandon you. By the way, whose birthday is it today? Somebody's got a birthday. Did y'all sing to her already? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> I love it. She looks great. And in, in honor of Judy's birthday, everybody went to the beach this weekend. Right? Those of you on Facebook can't see, we're missing half our congregation today. We're all celebrating Judy's birthday in our own way. But, but uh, anyway, we're glad you're here. And those of you at the beach, I'm not trying to shame you, but uh, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> the beginning of the creation of God. Now, the Greek word for beginning is arche, okay? John 1, John's Gospel. Uh, James, James, go ahead and turn to Colossians for me, but I'm going to read John. John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Verse 3 says, all things were made by him. Who's him? Jesus. And without him was not anything made that was made. So he's the uncaused cause. He's the creator. He is not created. He was born in Bethlehem about 2,000 years ago. But in the beginning, long before Mary was ever born, Jesus Christ was alive and well. He was there in the beginning. All right, Colossians 1 um, 
James, would you read verses 15 through 18? And talk real loud on that microphone because we're recording you. And Facebook out there, there's millions of people listening to you. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. <laughs> Jesus has no rival. He has no equal. Satan is not his equal. Satan is not his rival. Satan was created. Jesus created the devil. Now, we might wonder why. And we'll, you know, when we get to heaven, I guess we'll understand that. But he's a created being. Satan is not equal with Jesus Christ, not even in the least bit. All right, let's go to the next slide. And he makes you wonder, too, with Jesus revealing himself in this way. Um, Colossians, J James read from Colossians. Colossians is right next door to Laodicea. So you wonder if that same uh, problem in Colossae was present there at Laodicea, where they just thought Jesus was like one among many, you know, that he's... Uh, there are many roads to God, and we're, we're, we're all following our different path. Let's all, let's all hold hands and sing kumbaya. Kind of makes you wonder, doesn't it? All right, now Jesus says, I know your works. I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. Now, there's a lot of confusion about this, because Jesus says, um, he said, I would rather you be cold or hot. Now, some say that this refers to their spiritual condition. And that may be true, but I find it hard to believe that God wants anybody to be cold. Okay, I, I just because that would represent spiritual deadness. So I don't think God wants anybody to be cold, uh, spiritually speaking. I think rather that this refers to usefulness. Okay, now think about the water supply. Hot water is refreshing, isn't it? Uh, excuse me, it's, it's healing. I like. I love a cup of hot coffee. And uh, a hot tea, something like that. My grandmother, she's, uh, she lives down in Alabama, and she loves her coffee piping hot. Uh, we used to, now she, this has been years ago, my mom probably remembers this, I think she was with me. We went to a McDonald's somewhere in Alabama, and uh, she told the people at McDonald's, she said, now, would you put my coffee in the microwave? for like a minute or something. And, and, and the woman was like, well, okay, ma'am. So she pours the coffee and then puts it in the microwave for however long, minute long, and she brings it back. And my grandmother, she calls everybody baby. She says, now, baby, you think that's going to be hot enough for me? And she said, ma'am, it's boiling. <laughs> but, but she likes her coffee hot, and I like mine hot too. Lori is like, that is, why do you like your coffee so hot? But I don't want lukewarm coffee. Now, you might like iced coffee. I'm not a big iced coffee person. But, uh, but I want it cold or hot. Frappuccinos are pretty good, amen? But that's not, that's not real coffee. That's cheating. But wa a cold water is refreshing. You know, on a hot summer day, you get a glass of cold water. It's refreshing. An ice cold uh, Coca-Cola, something like that. 
but, but you don't want a, a glass of milk at room temperature after you've been outside all day, right? Because that would be sickening. Now, Matthew 5.13, uh, I, I believe it's a companion to this. It says, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It's not good for anything. And so I think when Jesus says, I want you to be cold or hot, he's saying the way you are right now, you're good for nothing, okay? And it says that Jesus said he's about to spew them out of his mouth. Now, the New King James, I think, says vomit. That's pretty serious, isn't it? Pretty serious. A church that makes God sick. Let's go to the next slide. Now, notice what they say. They say, I'm rich. Now, what about the church at Smyrna? They thought they were poor, but Jesus said they were rich. But Jesus looks at this rich church, and what does he say about them? He says they're poor, right? Now, here's the thing. He says, you say you're rich and increase with goods. But you don't know that you're wretched. And miserable. James, would you turn to Romans for me? Romans chapter 7. See, they didn't know their spiritual condition. That's really sad. That they're unaware. They're like the guys in Matthew 7. Lord, we prophesied in your name. We did all these things. And what does Jesus say to them? Depart from me, I never knew you. All right, uh, James, would you read Romans seven twenty four? Yes. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? That's the only other time wretched is used. Um, it's a person who's uh, estranged from God and needs the life of God. 1 Corinthians 15, would you read that too, James? It's right next door. 1 Corinthians 15, 19. And this is Jesus' evaluation of this church. They said that they're wealthy. They have, they have need of nothing. Now, there was two earthquakes that rocked the city of Laodicea, and both times they refused Roman help. Uh, usually Rome would help rebuild or whatever, but, but they refused because they, they, they were so rich they didn't need any help from Rome. Jesus says to this church, they're, they're wretched and they're, uh, they're miserable or they're pitiful. Would you read that, James? 1 Corinthians 15, 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Yeah, that's the only other uh, use of miserable in the, in the scriptures. And it speaks of only knowing Jesus as a human, not knowing him as God. Poor, uh, Jesus says to this church that they're poor, they're blind, and what? And naked, right? And they're in, that's in contrast to their, uh, their wealth, their banking. Remember, they're famous for banking. They're famous for their uh, eye salve. And they're famous for their, their woolen garments. And so Jesus says that they're, they're not in good shape. All right, let's go to the next slide. Jesus says, I counsel of you to buy from me. The me is emphatic in the Greek. 
gold that's been tried in the fire. Uh, James, turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter 1. Now in Isaiah 55, God says, Come and buy of me, those of you who have no money. 1 Peter 1, uh, James, if you'd read 6 and 7, whenever you get there. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith be much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So their gold, excuse me, the gold here is refined by fire. And what does Peter say that, that, that fire is? It's the trial, right? It's a test. What this church really needed was a test. The church in Smyrna was being persecuted. And they were on fire for God. But this church was lukewarm. Why? Because everything is going right. We know this from personal experience, don't we? When everything's going great, we don't seek God. That's right. I mean, it's the truth, right? When everything's going... Prosperity can be an enemy uh, of the church. And, uh, but when things are going wrong, you'll pray. You'll call on the name of the Lord and say, God, help me. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said, blessed are the, the poor in spirit. White raiment that you might be clothed. Uh, and that the shame of your nakedness do not appear. James, would you read Genesis 3? Genesis 3, um, 1 through 7. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Ye hath... Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened. And ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Keep reading. Through verse 7. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Mm. So the nakedness is a symbol of shame. Uh, Isaiah had to walk naked for three years. I read that again this morning. In Isaiah 20, Isaiah had to walk around naked and barefoot for three years. And you want to be a prophet? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I'm glad we're under the new covenant, praise God. Oh, hallelujah, I'm so glad he didn't call me to be an Old Testament prophet. Uh, Isaiah had to walk around, that's in the Bible, by the way, Isaiah 20. Um, nakedness is, all, is, a, is often a symbol of humiliation. Let's talk about spiritual blindness now. Um, 
James, will you go to John chapter 9, Gospel of John chapter 9. Now, in, uh, in the Gospel of John chapter 9, there's a blind man. He's been blind from birth. And Christ heals him. And uh, the, the leaders of the church are not happy. <laughs> and they're giving everybody a hard time. Would you read verses 39 through 41? And Jesus said, For judgment I have come to this world, that they which see not, that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words, and said unto him, Are we blind also? Jesus said unto them, If you were blind, ye should have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore, your sin remains. So the spiritually blind don't know they're blind, do they? They can't see. Now the blind man, he knew something was wrong. Uh, and I guess that's where we've got the words of amazing grace. I was blind, but now I see. Anybody know about that amazing grace? Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, let's go to the next slide. Jesus says, as many as I love... I rebuke and chasten. You know, I have to rem remember this, because sometimes as a preacher I get mad. Y'all ever get mad? You ever get mad at the devil? Mad at folks that don't live right? Folks that are trying to ruin this country and apostasy in the church? But God loves this church. You, you see that? They're lukewarm, but God loves them. Now, he says, I'm about ready to spit you out of my mouth, but it's not hopeless. James, will you turn to Mark 10? And while he's turning there, I'll just give your attention to the, uh, to the board here. Proverbs 3.11 says, Don't despise the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects. Hebrews 12 says, Whom the Lord loves, He chastens. That's a quote from, from Proverbs 3. God loves everybody. Now the Calvinists would say, Well, God only loves the elect. But I want you to look at a story in Mark 10. And James is going to read this. And I want to see what, uh, how far we want to go. All right, James, would you read verses 17 through 25? 17 through 25. Mark 10, 17 through 25. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, 
one thing thou lackest. Go thy way, sell whatever so thou hast, and give it to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at the saying, and went away grieved, for he had many great possessions. And Jesus looked round about, and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said unto him, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Mm. Makes you wonder if this guy was from Laodicea. I don't know. He sure fits the profile, doesn't he? As far as I know, he's the only one that ever came to Jesus and went away disappointed. Most people were, were thrilled uh, with him. But the point I wanted to, to, to get across here, and James read it, is that even though this guy, it's not wrong to have stuff, guys. It's wrong for stuff to have you. But Jesus, even though he went away without salvation, the Bible says that Jesus loved him. You re, did you hear that when James read it? It says Jesus looked on him and he loved him. All right, let's go to the next slide. If any man will hear my voice. Now the invitation is not to the church, but to the individual. How many of you have you seen Holman Hunt's uh, famous painting, The Light of the World? Anybody? Richard Larry has. It's a picture of Jesus knocking on the outside of the door. That's sad, isn't it? Jesus is on the outside of the church trying to get in. God, don't let that be us. Don't let that be our church. Don't let that be any church in this neighborhood where Christ is on the outside trying to get in. But what a, what a picture of condescension here that the Lord who created the whole universe who could smash this church if he wanted to or vomit it out of his mouth, the creator of the universe says, will y'all please let me in? Please let me in. That's, that is so tender to me. All right, James, I'm going to put you to work a little bit more. Now this, uh, he says, if anybody opens the door, he says, I will come in to him. Matthew 24, uh, verse 33. Now a lot of people use this uh, as an evangelistic appeal, like the door of the heart. But I believe it's the door of his return. Matthew 24, 33. So likewise ye, when you shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Yes. Mark says something similar. Uh, James, would you read Luke 12? Luke 12, 36. in yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord. When he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. All right, last one, James 5, 9. I'll read this one. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge stands before the what? 
the door. All right, let's go to the next slide. Supper with the Lord. Now, I, I owe my knowledge of this to, to Brother Brack Helms, as he taught me the difference between dinner and supper. There is a difference. How many of y'all know what the difference is? <laughs> and he told me, he said, you know, they don't call it the Lord's dinner. It's the Lord's supper, right? And uh, those of us from the South, we can, that resonates with us. But in the old world, when you sit down at a meal with somebody, that's a big deal. That means fellowship. Uh, Revelation 19, he said, Blessed is, are they who were called unto the what? The marriage supper of the Lamb. Matthew 26, 29. He talks about eating again in the Father's kingdom. You know, anytime you see Jesus after the resurrection, he's eating. It's interesting. And we're going to eat. Uh, and I'm th I, ha I like to eat, you know. <laughs> So I'm, I'm, that makes me happy to think about we're going to be able to eat, sit down at a meal with the Lord and eat. That's a picture of, of fellowship uh, in the Messianic kingdom. Let's go to the next slide. The promise to the overcomer. And James, if you'll go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians 6 for me. Now Jesus promises to these guys... That if they'll overcome, and who are the overcomers? Believers, right? That they'll sit down with him in his throne. Now, Jesus promised the 12 that they would sit on 12 thrones and judge the 12 tribes of Israel. But Paul expanded this for the church. 1 Corinthians 6, James, would you read verses 2 and 3? Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world. And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? Mm. That's amazing. The church is going to judge the world. We're going to sit and rule and reign with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go to the, uh, the last slide. He that hath an ear. All seven churches are told to listen. Hear the message to, the, to these churches. Um, there, there's warnings for each one. What church are you? What church are we? Are we Ephesus? Are we Smyrna? Are we Laodicea? I'm going to ask you to stand. This is the last time that the church is going to be mentioned in the book of Revelation until chapter 22. From here on out, there's no more mention of the church, and I think that's a glaring omission there. And the, the whole book of Revelation gets really Jewish after that, really Jewish, which I think is a big clue. The Ephesian church had left their first love. The Smyrna church was afraid of the persecution that was coming. The Pergamus church was compromised with false doctrine. 
The Tyran church was filled with sexual immorality and idolatry. The church at Sardis had a name, but they were dead. The church in Philadelphia had an open door. They were ready for the Lord's return. The church of Laodicea, Jesus looked at the body of work, and He says, it makes me want to vomit. Christ cannot bear the thought of a church that is indifferent about the Savior that bought it. Jesus paid the price for each and every one of us in this room. Jesus told the church that they're to be zealous and to repent. Zeal. Zeal without knowledge can be a dangerous thing, but knowledge without zeal is is equally disturbing. God says be zealous and repent. Jesus died for your sins according to the Scriptures. He rose from the dead. And he says, if you come to me, I will in no wise cast out. If you need the Lord as your Savior, I invite you. If you're a believer away from God this morning, come. He, he stands with open arms. He says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. And that promise, you know, the church at Laodicea has one of the best promises of any of the churches. He tells them they're going to rule with him on his throne. And so it's not too late for you, wherever you are in your walk with God, if you'll come and repent, he will receive you. Would you come?